Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number 15. And of course, we've been going through a series called Journey with Jesus. And it really is a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is one of the most uh, chronological, one of the most uh, detailed accounts of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're, of course, uh, been learning about the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been on a journey with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, through this book of the Bible. And this morning, we find ourselves in this portion of Scripture known as the parable of the prodigal son. And the parable of the prodigal son is arguably the most famous parable that Jesus ever told. If you ask people about the parables of Jesus, you ask them to name one of the parables of Jesus, uh, more than likely this is the parable that will be named uh, the parable of the prodigal son. I thought this was interesting. Charles Dickens, who's obviously a famous writer, uh, said about this parable, he said, it is the finest short story ever written. And uh, that's an interesting idea there, that it is the finest short story I've ever written, and many, of course, have agreed uh, with that. So we're going to look at the story of the, of, of, the, of the prodigal son. And let me just say quickly by introduction, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I, I spent a lot of time on this, on this on Wednesday night, but let me just remind you or let you know if you weren't here on Wednesday night that the parable of the prodigal son is not about salvation. And oftentimes, people get a lot of false doctrine from the parable. First of all, you should be very careful about getting any doctrine from a parable. We should get our doctrine from clear statements in Scripture. And parables, of course, are stories. They're not literal. They're stories that the Lord Jesus Christ told. And they are stories that have uh, an earthly, they're an earthly story with a spiritual application. And I want you to understand that this is not about salvation. People will often try to make this parable about salvation and as a result get a lot of false doctrine regarding salvation. The, uh, the, the, the parable of the prodigal son is not about salvation. If it's not about salvation, you may ask, what is it about? And it is about a backslidden Christian getting right with God. And of course, uh, I spent time talking about that on Wednesday night, so I won't spend too much time on that. But let me just remind you this, that the son in the story was already a son when he left. And the Bible says that when you and I get saved, we get born again into the family of God, and we are the sons of God. And this was a story of a man who was already a son. He left in rebellion, and we see the story of him coming back. If you notice there in Luke 15 and verse 11, the Bible says, and he said, a certain man had two sons. I want you to notice the characters in the parable Again, just by way of introduction, we have the certain man who is the father. He's a certain man who had two sons, later in the parable referred to as the father. And the father in this story, of course, represents God the Father. If you remember from Wednesday night, we saw the fact that in Luke 15, the chapter is made up of three different parables. All three parables are connected by the theme of something being lost. Of course, uh, we saw the parable of the lost sheep. And we saw the parable of the lost coin on Wednesday night. This morning, we are seeing the parable of the lost son. Each one of the parables, uh, though they all have the theme of something being lost, each one highlights a different member of the Godhead. Of course, the parable of the lost sheep has the shepherd going out to seek and to save that which was lost. And it highlights the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that the second parable of the lost coin uh, would highlight the Holy Spirit and the work that the Holy Spirit does along with a local New Testament church in search of the lost. And then this morning we see this parable of the prodigal son that highlights that uh, the, the position of the first member of the Godhead, God the Father. Of course, the father in the story represents God the Father. The younger son in the story, because the Bible tells us he had two sons, there's an elder son and a younger son. The younger son, which is really who the parable is about, represents a backslidden Christian. We're going to see that this morning. And then, of course, the elder son represents a Christian. When we get to the end of the parable, we'll focus in on the elder son, and it represents a Christian who did not get backslidden, who stayed faithful, but has a bad attitude about it or bad spirit about it. And I want to just jump into this parable, and I want to give you seven steps that outline this parable 
uh, for us this morning. And if you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some notes if you've not brought a notebook or something like that to be able to take notes with. And I want to give you seven steps as quickly as possible this morning uh, that outline this parable for us. And it's an important parable to be aware of because of the fact that in the Christian life, you've heard me say this, when, when you stick around a church long enough, you will begin to realize that unfortunately people come and go. People will come and get saved and get right with God and they'll get backslidden and they'll go. But I want you to know this also that sometimes people come and go and come back. In fact, uh, at, any given, uh, at any given time here at Verity Baptist Church, uh, we've got several prodigals that we are praying for and that we are waiting for the day that they may uh, come back. And you need to understand this parable and understand the implications of this parable because you may deal with a prodigal in your life. You may be a prodigal at some point in your life, hopefully not. And uh, some of you uh, sitting in this room right now were prodigals that had left and had came back. Somebody had told me when we started uh, our church, I want to say it was my dad, uh, he had said, you know, you want to stay in ministry long enough to not only see people go, but to see people come back. And by God's grace, we've seen many go and come back, and uh, we've seen uh, the Lord do a work. So we have before us this morning this story, this parable of the prodigal son, and I'll give you seven steps if you want to write these down. Number one, the first thing I'd like you to notice is the rebellion of the prodigal. The rebellion of the prodigal. Notice there in verse 12, the Bible says this, Luke 15 and verse 12. And the younger of them, of course referring to the younger son, said to his father, he said, Father. Now, I want you to notice that when the younger son is speaking to his father here in the story, he is speaking to his God-given authority. He is speaking to the individual that God has placed over his life as the authority of his life. If you are a, a, a child uh, or a, a kid or a young person that's living at home uh, right now, then your God-given authority is your father and your mother. Of course, if you are a wife, then the Bible teaches that your God-given authority is your husband. Uh, as a member of a church, the Bible teaches that your God-given authority is your pastor. And of course, pastors are not to lord over God's heritage. But when it comes to the ministry and the work of, of the church, uh, God has given you an authority over your life. He's called uh, your pastor. Uh, if you have a job, then your God-given authority at that job regarding that work is your uh, boss. And of course, in all different areas of life, we have authorities that have been ordained by God. They are our God-given authority. And here we have this young man who is speaking to his father, and he rebels against his God-given authority. The Bible says that the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Now you say, what is it that this young man is asking for? And what he's asking for is his inheritance. His father was a rich man. His father was a wealthy man. And this young man understood that when his father died, that he would uh, receive an inheritance, that he would receive riches and wealth that would be coming to him at the uh, day of his father's death. But what this young man is doing is he's, he doesn't want to wait till his dad dies. He's coming to his father while his father is yet alive and asking for his father, to his father for the inheritance that he would get when his father uh, would die. And what the young man is saying to his father, he's saying, he's saying, Dad, I'm tired of the rules. I'm tired of you telling me what to do. I'm tired of being under your authority. I'm tired of being under your roof. Uh, I, I'm tired of you dragging me to church. I'm tired of you uh, 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 rebuking me and reprimanding me. I'm tired of you counseling me and admonishing me. He, he says, I, I, I want to end our relationship. Why don't you give me the inheritance that I'm going to get when you die anyway, and we can part ways. And really, in some ways, what he's saying is, I wish, Dad, that you were dead. I wish that I no longer uh, had to answer to you. I wish that I no longer was under your authority. We see the rebellion of this prodigal son. He rebels against his uh, God-given authority. This, young, uh, this younger son no longer wants to be under the authority of his father. It's not only that he rebels against the authority of his father, but I want you to notice that he also rebels against the accountability of his father. 
Not only in your life have you been given God-given authority, but along with that authority, you've been given God-given accountability. In verse 13, the Bible says, And not many days after, notice as Jesus gives the story, He says, And not many days after, the younger son, after he asked the father for the inheritance that he might leave, the Bible says that the younger son gathered all together, notice what it says, And took his journey into a far country. Not only did he want to get out from under the authority of his father, but he wanted to get out from under the accountability of his father. He did not want to be accountable to anybody. He did not want anybody to know when he left or when he came, what he was doing. He didn't want to answer anybody or or give any reports. The Bible says that he took his journey into a far country. And let me tell you something. Maybe you're here this morning. You say, well, I'm not a prodigal. I'm here. But you're already a prodigal in your heart. And all sin begins in the heart and in the mind of man. And if you are here this morning and you are in your heart rebelling against your God-given authority, rebelling against your mother and father, rebelling against the people that God has placed in your life, and you are uh, uh, rebelling and you are resentful for the accountability in your life, let me tell you something. You need to check your heart and you need to get right with God because what's coming in your life is not good. This young man wanted to rebel against the authority and the accountability. He wanted to be not answered to his dad and not even see his dad. He wanted to leave and he took his journey into a far country. And let me tell you something. If what you are doing or what you want to do cannot be done in the house of your father, you're in for a world of hurt. See, I don't want to answer anybody. You will answer to somebody. I, I, I just want to go out and do my own thing. That, that world doesn't exist. The world where you go out and get to do whatever you want, let me tell you something, young people, does not exist. It is foolishness. You say, well, I, I'm, I'm going to leave. You know, it's funny to me how young people say, I'm going to rebel against my dad. I'm tired of my dad telling me what to do. I want to be my own man and go do my own thing. I know what I'll do. I'll join the military. Yeah, because no one's going to tell you what to do there. No, no one's going to expect something out of you there. Because no one's going to make you show up at a certain time and leave at a certain time. And, and people get this idea, well, I'm just going to go do whatever I want. They go get themselves in trouble, get themselves thrown into prison. And, but you're living the free life in prison while they tell you when to get up and when to go to bed and when to eat and what to do. Let me tell you something. There is no such thing as a life without accountability. There is authority whether you like it or not. But this young man, this, the, the rebellion of the prodigal was this foolish rebellion that said, I don't want authority. I don't want accountability. So we see, first of all, and Jesus highlights for us the fact that there is rebellion in the life of the prodigal. I want you to notice, secondly, that not only do we see the rebellion of the prodigal, but we see the riotous living of the prodigal. Notice there in verse 13, the Bible says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. Notice the last part of verse 13. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. The Bible tells us that he wasted his substance with riotous living. The word prodigal is not actually found in this parable. It's known as the story of the prodigal son. However, the word prodigal actually means, the definition of the word prodigal is to be wasteful, to be wastefully reckless, to waste a substance on expensive things. The reason that this story is called the parable of the prodigal son or known as the parable of the prodigal son is because of the fact that he took his father's inheritance and he wasted his substance on riotous living. I want you to understand something, that when you decide to go live for the world and go live for yourself and go live for sin, all you will do is waste. Solomon put it this way. He said that it's vain. He said, everything that's under the sun is vain. He said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity under the sun. It's empty. It's wasteful. It does not fulfill. It does not satisfy. The Bible tells us he wasted his substance with riotous living. I want you to notice that little word riot, riotous. The word riotous means characterized by wild, disorderly, and uncontrolled behavior. The Bible teaches us And experience should teach you that the sin life is a riotous life. The sin life is a chaotic life. 
The sin life is a life that could be characterized as something that is riotous, that is chaotic, that is disorderly, and it's not fun. My wife and I were just recently having a conversation about certain individuals, and we were talking about just, you know, how really what we were trying to do is figure out the, 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 the family lines. And, and, and there were so many divorces and remarriages. There were so many, you know, this person paying alimony and this person paying child support. This person went to prison and then this person uh, uh, got divorced and then they went here and then they got accused of this and they went there. And the whole thing was so confusing. And I remember my wife and I just looking at each other, you know, it, it's, it's so much easier when it's just mom, dad, children. Mom, dad, children, children get married, grandchildren. Isn't that just simple? Doesn't that just seem nice? But you you start getting into these chaotic, sin lives of people, and there's fighting, and there's divorce, and there's remarriage, and there's child support, and there's alimony, and there's, well, this kid comes from this person, and that kid uh, was from that person, and from this relationship, from that relationship. And look, if that's your lifestyle, if that's your backdrop, uh, I'm, I'm not mad at you, I'm not trying to pick on you, but I think we should all agree on this, that the sin life is a chaotic life. It's a life that is riotous and wasteful. Not a life that should be desired. We see the rebellion of the prodigal, and we see the riotous living of the prodigal. But I want you to notice, thirdly, and I, to me this is the most interesting part of the story, one of the most interesting parts of the story is, I'd like you to notice the resources of the prodigal. The resources of the prodigal. In verse 12, the Bible says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Notice the last part of verse 12. The Bible says, And he, who's he? The Father. Divided unto them. Notice plural, them, his sons. He has two sons. If one son wants to be bought out of the inheritance, then he really has to make the transaction and decide, well, what goes to this one and what goes to that one? He divided unto them his, who's the his there? The Father's living. What is it that the prodigal received as an inheritance. The Bible says that he, the father, divided unto them, the sons, his living. What he had worked for, what he had earned, the life that he had made, the business that he had started, what is it that the prodigal was getting? He was getting what the father had provided. What is it that the prodigal was wasting? What was the substance that he was wasting and riotous living? The prodigal was using the resources given to him by his father for riotous living. Notice verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. The Bible tells us he gathered all together. What did he gather together? What was the all that he gathered together? You know, I, I, I envision this story, and of course this is a parable, it did not literally happen, but I often tell you when you study the Bible, you ought to try to put yourself into the story. And I envision this young man walking into his bedroom, and we use the term his bedroom loosely because it was really his father's bedroom that he was staying in. But he walks into his bedroom and opens the door to his closet, which was really his father's closet, and begins to take his clothes, which were really his father's clothes that his father had provided for his son. He begins to take his clothes and his shoes and begins to pack them up, and he begins to grab his quote-unquote stuff, which was all the things that the father had provided. He divided unto them his living. Verse 13, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, all gathered all that was provided by the father and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance. Wasted what substance? The substance that the father had provided with riotous living. Now keep your finger right there in Luke 15. That's obviously our text for this morning. Go with me if you would to the Old Testament book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 5 if you Open your Bible towards the end of the Old Testament. You have the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, the big books. Right after that, you have the book of Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. I actually preached out of Daniel chapter 5 uh, just recently a different sermon. 
But while studying for that sermon, I noticed this verse, and I thought, that's exactly what is being emphasized in the story of the prodigal son. See, the prodigal son had a problem with rebellious, and he had a problem with riotous living. But he also had a problem with his resources. See, the prodigal was using the resources given to him by his father for riotous living. In Daniel 5 and verse 23, we have the story of Belshazzar. If you remember, I preached not too long ago on Belshazzar and, 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 and when I was preaching to uh, the young people growing up in church here. And in verse 23, the Bible says, but, but has lifted, this is Daniel speaking to Belshazzar. He says, but has lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house. Remember, he brought, Belshazzar ordered that the, the vessels of the temple of God would be brought out, the vessels of his house, of God's temple. Daniel says, They have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines, have drunk wine in them. What is it that Belshazzar was doing? He was using the resources of the temple, bringing the resources of the house of God and using them to drink alcohol out of, using the resources of the, God, of the house of God for what? Riotous living. Notice. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not and hear not nor know. Now, it's interesting to me because Daniel is making this point. He's saying, look, Belshazzar, you took the cups, the bowls, you took the instruments, you took the vessels that belong to the temple, to belong to the house of God, and you've decided to take God's resources, pour alcohol in them, which is riotous living, and drink alcohol out of them. And then at the same time, you have blasphemed God by worshiping and praising the idols, gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone. And then... Uh, uh, Daniel reminds Belshazzar, by the way, those idols that you're worshiping while you're drinking out of the vessels of the house of the true and living God, those idols that you're worshiping, he says, which see not, nor hear, nor know. But I want you to notice this little phrase here at the end of, of Daniel 5.23. He says, look, those gods that you're worshiping, they don't hear, they don't see, they don't know, they're false gods. And then Daniel says this, and the God... The true God, the Jehovah God, knows what he says, in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. See, Daniel said, Daniel says to Belshazzar, Belshazzar, it's not just that you're using the cups and the bowls and the knobs and, and, and the instruments that were uh, set aside for the service of God's house, the, literally the resources of God's house. It's not just that you're using those resources to live riotous living. He says, everything you have came from God. He said, the very breath in your body came from God. Amen. And what we can learn from the story of the prodigal son is the, the story uh, of the resources is that the prodigal was using the resources given to him by his father for riotous living. And let me tell you something. When we as Christians get backslidden and we use the resources afforded to us, you use your money, you use your strength, you use your breath, you use your energy. You use the resources uh, that, that you have disposed for riotous living. Let me tell you something. You are using the resources that God has given you. When you decide I'm going to go commit adultery, you decide I'm going to go do drugs, you decide I'm going to go uh, uh, gamble at a casino, you decide I'm going to go uh, uh, get high and, 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 and I'm going to go live a riotous life. Let me tell you something. You are doing it with the very breath that God has given you. The God in whose hand thy breath is. See, the truth is, prodigal, that when you sin, and when I sin, and whenever we sin, we do at the expense of the Father's resources. Because everything we have came from Him. Every good gift is from above. So we saw, number one, the rebellion of the prodigal. Make your way back to Luke 15, if you would. We saw number two, the ruin of the prodigal. Excuse me, the riotous living of the prodigal. We saw number three, the resource of the prodigal. Like you notice, fourthly this morning, the ruin of the prodigal. 
Notice that his life is eventually ruined. There's a couple of things that I'd like to highlight from this parable. The first is this. Especially you young people, I want you to get this. I want you to notice the fleeting pleasures of sin. In verse 14, the Bible says, Luke 15, 14, And when he, the prodigal son, with all the resources given, afforded him of his father, when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine. It's interesting to me how God orchestrates these things in the lives of Christians. See, the mighty famine doesn't come when he first got into town. If, if the mighty famine would have came when he first got into town, the prodigal may have been fine. He might have realized, well, maybe I shouldn't party like I want to party and do what I want to do, but I've got the money that I can write out this famine. But that's not how it works. See, what the Bible tells us is that God waits until all the resources are spent up. And then there arose a mighty famine. You know that God is never as late. He's always on time. Oftentimes, we pray to God and we ask God for prodigals or for our enemies or for whatever situation. And we ask God, why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do that? Why don't you just work right now? Why don't you just get this done? But let me tell you something. God always knows best. God knows when to bring the famine. God knows when to bring the storm. God knows. Let me tell you something. You can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. God is there and God knows. And when God's ready... The famine will come. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine. See, young people, especially young people, really, I, I used to say young people, I used to say all, all, old people are just as bad as young people. Maybe I should say, especially you old people. <laughs> There's only pleasure in sin for a season. Let me read to you from Hebrews, if you would. Hebrews chapter 11. You don't have to turn there, I'll just read this for you. If you'd like to turn there, you're welcome to Hebrews 11, 24. The Bible says, By faith, Moses, when he has come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. See, Moses had a choice to make. He said, I could suffer affliction with the people of God, or I could enjoy the pleasures of sin. Because, listen to me, I'm not going to lie to you, there really is pleasure in sin. But what sin does not tell you is that there's only pleasure in sin for a season. Eventually the party runs out. Eventually the high wears off. Eventually the money runs out. The truth is that the pleasure of sin is fleeting. There will come a point when you have spent all, when you are done, and at that point, God will be ready to begin His work on you. The God that works on the other side. And when He has spent all, there arose a mighty famine. I want you to notice not only the fleeting pleasure of sin, but I want you to notice the expensive price of sin. Notice verse 14. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. Notice the last part of verse 14. And he began to be in want. He, he, he left with all the riches of his father's house, the resources of his father's house. But here the Bible tells us that now that the party's over, the money's ran out, the famine has came upon him, he began to be in want. You know that sin is expensive. It'll leave you broke. I mean, it'll leave you broke spiritually, it'll leave you broke physically, but it'll leave you broke monetarily. He began to be in want. In verse 30 of this parable, the elder son, we'll get there in a little bit, the elder son told us that his brother, the prodigal, had devoured his father's living with harlots. You don't have to turn here. Let me just read this for you. Proverbs 29.3 says this, Whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father, but he that keepeth company with harlots, you say, what's a harlot? It's a prostitute. But he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. And by the way, you could, you could uh, uh, fill in that word harlot with whatever addictive sin. He that keepeth company with, drug, uh, with, with drugs spendeth his substance. He that keepeth company at the casino gambling spendeth his substance. He that, it doesn't matter. Fill it in with whatever sin you want. 
This young man had spent all, there arose a famine, and then he began to be in want. He was broke. But don't you notice, not only was he broke, he was also humiliated. Look at verse 15. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed swine. Now Jesus is speaking this parable in the first century in uh, Judea, Assumably to a Jewish, primarily Jewish audience who are people who avoid swine, who don't eat pig. And for them to hear of this young man who they would assume in the story, this Jewish young man has now come to the place in his life where he he is uh, uh, feeding in the fields. He is working in the fields to feed swine. This would be humiliating. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low. This was a prideful young man. Prideful young man. I mean, think, can you imagine the pride, the arrogance that it would, you would require to go to your father and say, I wish you were dead. You won't die fast enough. Just go ahead and give me my inheritance so that I can leave. I'm tired of your rules. I'm tired of your counsel. I'm tired of you telling me what to do. I don't want to be under your authority. I don't want to be accountable to you. I want to just go and do it my way. A man's pride shall bring him low. Pride goeth before destruction. The expensive price of sin is that he was broke. The expensive price of sin is that he was humiliated. But I want you to notice also in verse 16, the expensive price of sin is that he was alone. Look at it. Luke 15, 16. And he would have fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. He's so hungry, he's so starving, that he, 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 if he could have, he would have filled himself with the swine that the husk, uh, the, uh, the husk that the swine did eat. Notice the last part of verse 16. And no man gave unto him. And you got to ask the question, where are all your friends? I mean, you, you, had, you had an entourage. What you, the, the parties were big. The the people that were around you were big. Listen to me. Proverbs 14, 20. You have to turn there. I'll just read this for you. The poor is hated even of his own neighbor. Doesn't that apply to our prodigal son here? Notice the last part of the verse. But the rich hath many friends. The rich hath many friends. The poor is hated even of his own neighbor. This man was alone. This man was lonely. You say, why was he alone? I believe he was alone for a couple of reasons. Reason people find themselves alone. We obviously have a huge homeless problem in this city. Oh, many cities do. And, you know, there are the rare instances where people find themselves homeless at really no fault of their own. Those instances are real, but they are rare. But let me tell you something. The vast majority of the people that you see out here, you know, you got to ask yourself this question like, Where's your mom? Where's your dad? Don't you have siblings? Don't you have friends? Don't you have people you grew up with? You say, well, what what, what is it? Those people are just unloving? No, it's not that those people are unloving. It's that those people have burned so many bridges. They've already taken advantage and stolen and lied and, and, and destroyed the relationships they have that they find themselves out there and no man gave unto him. I've often said this, when you live for self, you'll find yourself alone. The end of the self-life is a life of self. The reason, and, and, and I would encourage you to come back tonight, because tonight we're going to look at the, the, the parable of the unjust steward, and we're going to learn what Jesus teaches. Right after teaching this parable, the prodigal, a young man that lived his life for self, he teaches us of why we should invest in others. And why we should live a life in which we invest in others and love others and help others. Why? Because when you love others, others will be there to help you and love you. But when you live for self, no man will give unto you. He was lonely. No one would help him. Not only do we see the fleeting pleasure of sin, but we see the expensive price of sin. It cost him everything. He was broke. He was humiliated. He was alone. 
And this is why the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 15, the way of the transgressor is hard. The, the, the prodigal says, prodigal says, I don't, I don't want to live. I don't want to go to Verity Baptist Church. I don't want to hear all that preaching. I don't want to be told to live a separated life. I don't want to be told to read my Bible every day and to pray and to go soul winning and to give and to be kind and to be generous and to not be selfish. I want to be selfish. I don't want to live that life. It's too hard. Let me tell you something. You go live the sin life. It's just as hard. It's harder. Right. Right. Life is hard. All life is hard. But you can live a life that is difficult and fulfilling or a life that is difficult and vain. We see the expensive price of sin. Someone said this, sin will take you further than you wanted to go, cost you more than you wanted to pay, and keep you longer than you wanted to stay. We see the ruin of the prodigal. Notice there in verse 17. I said, number one, we saw the rebellion of the prodigal. Number two, the riotous living of the prodigal. Number three, the resources of the prodigal. Number four, the ruin of the prodigal. I've got seven steps for you this morning. I don't normally have that many, but we'll move through them as quickly as possible. I'd like you to notice, fifthly, the repentance of the prodigal. I want you to understand something about the prodigals. They don't all come back. Sometimes you preach a sermon like this and people get this idea like, every prodigal will come back. They don't always come back. In fact, the Bible tells us that there is a sin unto death. Some prodigals don't come back because God gets so fed up with waiting on them that he just kills them. He just takes them home early. Their life is such a waste. Their life is such a, 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 an embarrassment to the cause of Christ that he just takes them home. They don't always come back, but sometimes they come back, and this prodigal came back. Why don't you notice the repentance of the prodigal? In his repentance, we see a few things. Notice the conclusion he came to. He, he, he came to a realization. I, I, I love the story because it, it's like he comes to this point in his life where everything lines up, his perspective is cleared up, and he realizes something. He, he concludes something. He came to a conclusion, just like Solomon, when he gets to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, and, and he says, I realize now what life is about, to fear the Lord and to keep His commandments. Amen. And here in Luke 15 and verse 17, the Bible says, and when he, the prodigal, came to himself. I love that phrase. He came to himself. You know what's funny is that people often will say to me as a pastor, whenever they're getting ready to go off and to say, they'll say, I just want to find myself. And this is what the world teaches. Find yourself. Follow your heart. Do what you're... Let me tell you something. Your heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? You don't know it. People will say, oh, I just want to find myself. I hope you never find yourself. Because when you find yourself, you'll be disappointed. He came to himself. I just want to find myself. You know what you should be looking for is Jesus. Amen. A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. And when your heart discovers itself, you'll be sorely disappointed. And when he came to himself, we might put it this way, he came to the end of his rope. No more resources, nothing else, no, no one else to call, no one else to borrow from, nothing, no one else to help. When he came to the end of himself, he had an epiphany. He had a realization. He, had, uh, uh, he, he came to this uh, conclusion. Let me tell you something. Not every prodigal comes back, but I do believe that every prodigal, if you're actually saved and you decide to get backslidden and go live a worldly life, every single prodigal comes to this point in their life. When they come to the end of themselves, you say, what does that mean? They come to a realization. What is the realization? Notice notice what the prodigal says. He said, here's his conclusion. Here's his realization. Here's the conclusion he came to. He said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. He said, I'm starving to death, and the guys that work for my dad, they've got so much food, they've got food to spare. They throw away more food than I've got to eat now. He came to a conclusion. What was the conclusion? It's the conclusion that every young person comes to that leaves a church like this, that decides to go out and sin. What is it? Here's the conclusion. It was better at my father's house. Life is hard, and sin is 
hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. It was better at my father's house. That's the conclusion that every prodigal comes to. Whether pride will allow them to act upon that conclusion is a different story. But this prodigal realized something. I had it better at my father's house. It was better at my father's house. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with this hunger? Why don't you notice in his repentance, and by the way, did I mention? This parable is not about salvation. The the kid's not getting saved. He's already, he's not becoming a son of the father. He's already a father, a, a son to the father. He's not getting saved. Salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What he's doing is he's getting right with God. He's repenting. He says, are you teaching he's repenting of of his sins? Yes, but not for salvation. He's already saved. But you know how God wants you to repent of your sins? Not to be saved, but he wants you to repent of your sins because your sins will hurt you and because he wants to have a relationship with you and he wants you to be right with him. He comes to this conclusion that he needs to repent. And I want you to notice... With repentance, not only comes this epiphany, this conclusion, that it was better before, it was better at my father's house, but with repentance comes a confession. I want you to notice that the young man confesses. Notice the direction of his confession. I often use this verse in counseling to teach people, when I'm teaching people, look, you've been in sin and you've got to make things right, you've got to confess. Notice the direction of a proper confession. For some of you, you should write this down. This will help your marriage. It will help you in life. Luke 15, 18. I will arise and go to my father and say unto him. Notice, there are two parts to this confession. He says, I have sinned against heaven. You say, what is that referring to? He's directing his confession to his heavenly father. Because remember, Though the father represents the heavenly father in the parable, in the parable, this is an earthly son with an earthly father. And Jesus is teaching us, look, when you confess, you must first confess to God. I have sinned against heaven, but that's not it. Number two, and before thee. See, his confession was to his heavenly father, and his confession was to his earthly father. When you and I get right, we must not only confess to God, but we must confess to those that we have sinned against. Against heaven and before thee. We see this confession. The the direction of his confession. I want you to notice the contriteness of his spirit. Look at Luke 15 and verse 19. He he, he says, I got to get right. I got to go home. I I will arise and go to my father and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Then he says in verse 19, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Notice the, the, the humiliation that God allowed in his life was good because it led to a humility in his life. He humbled himself. He was contrite. The word contrite means to to be caused by or showing sincere remorse, filled with a sense of guilt and the desire for atonement, to be penitent, to want to make things right. He says, I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. He says, I've humbled myself. I'm humbling myself before God. He says, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. And then I want you to notice these two little words. He says, make me as one of thy hired servants. I want you to notice something about this prodigal. Before his repentance, while still in rebellion, his request to his father was, give me. Give me the portion of the inheritance that falleth to me. Give me what I'm asking for. Give me what I want. Don't restrict me. Don't restrain me. Give me. His attitude was give me. Now that he's been ruined by sin, now that he's been uh, ready to get right with God, now that he's repentant, his attitude changes from give me to make me. Make me as one of thy hired servants. I was talking to my wife about this recently. One of the things that's so frustrating about ministry is you. (laughs) 
is me. It's, it's dealing with people. In some ways, honestly, in some ways, and please don't take this the wrong way, in some ways I understand why false religion thrives. Because to be very honest with you, my life would be a lot easier if I simply lived my Christianity like the Catholics or the Muslims or the false religions do. Because you can be a Muslim and you tell people, hey, look, we got these seven rules, these seven pillars of Islam. We just need you to pray at a certain time in a certain direction. We just need you to do this, do this, do that. Just do these seven things. And once those are done, hey, do whatever you want. Live however you want. Go be wherever you want. We don't care. As long as you do these seven things, then the imam can call himself a good imam and I've done my job. The Catholic priest says, hey, you know, just go to the confessional booth. Just make sure you get catechized. Just do these one little thing, then go do whatever you want. Just show up for Easter, show up for Christmas, do whatever else you want, live however you want, and as long as you do these certain things, we've uh, succeeded. False religions can tell you, the Mormons, the Jehovah, do whatever you want. As long as you do these few things, we've just got these few rules, just follow these few rules, and you're good to go. That's easier than what we do when we tell people, get your heart right. We don't tell you, follow this one rule and do this one rule, then do whatever you want. No, no, no. We're concerned with the heart. And that's so difficult. Because what I've learned is this. What I've learned the hard way is this. That as a pastor, I cannot make you do anything. What I've learned is that the problem in the lives of the average Christian is not what they do. is not what they want. It's not that they're asking, they're, they're asking God, give me this and give me this, give me that. But the problem is not that they, what, what, what they're doing, the problem is who they are. The reason that your marriage is in shambles, the reason that your relationship with your wife or with your husband is in shambles, the reason you won't stop fighting is not because you're fighting about this or fighting about that. It's because fighting is who you are. You're the problem. And what I've learned in ministry is that I can't make you. I can't change you. I, can't, I wish I could just download the word of God straight into your soul and into your mind and just make you be something different. But here's what I've learned. I can't make you. You say, who, who can? Only God can. And even God only can through the process of the prodigal. God has to allow your pride to flare up so high and allow the famines and the storms in life and pull the rug out from under you and let you fall so far and so low that you will change your attitude from coming to God and say, give me. Because isn't that how the average Christian, isn't that the average prayer life of the Christian? Give me. Give me a job. Give me a car. Give me health. Give me this. Give me that. Where's the Christian that comes to God and says, make me. Make me as one of thy hired servants. But I don't care what you give me. I, 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 just want to, I just want to be with you. I just want to be restored. I just want a relationship with you. I don't care what you give me. I just want you to make me. Amen. And that, unfortunately, is not something that I can do. And what I've learned is that it's often only something that God can do through the process of the prodigal. So before he would come to his father and he would say, give me. But now he comes to his father and he says, make me. I I, I wish some of you would just decide before you go out into the world to just come to God and say, God, would you make me the husband I need to be? You make me the wife that I need to be. You make me the Christian, the servant, the soul winner. Would you? I, I don't want to just have this outward rules. Well, I go to church on Sunday morning, and I show up on Sunday night, Wednesday night, so pastor won't preach against me, and I make sure I give $1 for every $10. Look, God doesn't care about your sacrifice and about your checklist. He wants your heart. Amen. He says, make me. That's different than give me. He comes to his father with a contrite spirit. Why don't you notice the return of the prodigal? Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. You know you can always come back? There was a message for the prodigal out there. Here's a message for the prodigal. You can always come back. 
He arose and came to his father. Notice what the Bible says. But when he was yet a great way off. Now the Bible does not tell us how long, the story does not tell us how long this prodigal was gone for. I believe you could make the argument that he was gone for years. Because of the fact that the elder son, which we'll look at here in a minute, when he got all upset that the prodigal returns, he says, I've served you all these years. And I believe that he's referring to all the years that the prodigal had been gone. So this kid's not like he's been gone for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. He's probably been gone for several years. And the Bible tells us that when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. Now, it may be a coincidence that his father happened to be out there and saw his son returning after several years, but I think that it's probably true, and what Jesus is trying to tell us is that the father is constantly looking. The father was out there probably every day. Every day he's looking out there, and I can imagine as people would travel into town, he might see dust starting to uh, go up in the air and it looks like someone's walking down the road and he can't really make them out and he's just looking and looking and every day he's looking and looking and somebody gets caught and you realize, oh no, that's not my son. And the next day, some traveler will be coming down the road and said, maybe today, maybe that's him. And he, no. And every day and every day, the father was out there waiting. The father was out there looking. But on this day, his son arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. I believe the father was out there every day looking and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Notice when the prodigal, please understand something. The difference between the parable of the prodigal and the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, those have to do with salvation. And in those stories, the woman that lost the coin and the shepherd that lost the sheep, they went out to search and to find the thing that was lost. In this story, because we're dealing with a backslidden Christian, the father did not, did not go out and search. Say, so what do you call that? It's called tough love. Some of you don't like that, but let me tell you something. Many of you, the reason that you've got a prodigal is because you're an enabler. It's because you're constantly there to bail them out. You're constantly there to excuse their actions. You're constantly there to go along with whatever stupid idea they've got. The father said, I love you, and I will be here when you get back, but I'm not going after you. You make those decisions, you'll live with them. You can always come back, but I'm not going for you. I'm not going to go look for you. But let me tell you something. When the son arose and came to his father, his father ran to him and fell on his neck and kissed him. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. He began to go in the direction of his father and his father began to go in the direction of his son. The return of the prodigal. Not every prodigal, like I said, comes home. I do believe every prodigal comes to the end of themselves. I am thankful that we've stayed. My wife and I have stayed in the ministry and we've stayed here long enough to see prodigals go and prodigals come back. Some of you here right now are prodigals who left and God brought you back. I've seen prodigals go and die, literally. I won't give you the names or the details, but my wife and I in this ministry have watched people who were right with God, who were once Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, once soul winners and tithers and decided to get backslidden and run off with some guy and whatever and literally went to their funerals. Because look, God is not playing games. I was just called this week, this week, this very week, somebody called me. Somebody used to come to this church called me and asked the question, can I come back to church? And the answer to that question is always, yes, Amen. of course. You're always welcome back. You can always return. We'll always accept you. We'll always love you. If God has dealt in your heart and you're ready to come back, The answer is always yes. You can always come back. And when you come back, when you begin to take steps towards God, when you begin to draw nigh to God, I promise you that he will begin to draw nigh to you. 
And the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Don't you notice? Not only did we see the rebellion of the prodigal and the riotous living of the prodigal, the resources of the prodigal, the ruin of the prodigal, the repentance of the prodigal, the return of the prodigal. I want you to notice, lastly this morning, the restoration of the prodigal. Luke 15, 21, And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. He had practiced his confession. He, he, he had said, I'm going to say these things to my father and I'm going to tell him to make me as one of thy hired servants. But he doesn't even get to finish his confession. His father seemingly cuts him off in the middle of his confession. In verse 22, the Bible says, but the father said unto his servant, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hands and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The father forgives and rejoices. Aren't you thankful that you can always come back? 1 John 1.9 says that we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. That's not a salvation verse. That's a prodigal son verse. Amen. That's a get right with God verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By the way, the Father forgives, so we should forgive. The Father rejoices, so we should rejoice. When somebody comes back to church after they've been gone for a while, you should not treat them bad or mean. You should rejoice. Where have you been? Look what the cat dragged in, you know. (laughs) Hey, the Father rejoices, and we should rejoice. We should welcome them back with open arms. Look at verse 25. I've got to finish this quickly. The scene changes from the story of the prodigal. We've been dealing with the story of the prodigal son. For the next few verses, we deal with the story of the prodigal son's brother. Look at verse 25. Now his elder son... Remember, the prodigal comes home, the dad says, hey, put, 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 put a ring on his finger and, and shoes on his feet. Give him the best robe and, and, and slay the fatted calf. And they began to sing and to make merry. They began to, to have a party because the son had returned. His prodigal son had returned. In verse 25, now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. Notice verse 28. And he was angry. The elder son was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. You know what the prodigal son's brother teaches us? It teaches us that it can be difficult for the ones who stayed faithful to rejoice when the prodigal returns. You don't think it's difficult for the wife that stayed faithful while her husband ran around and made a mess of life? When he comes back, you don't think it's difficult? You don't think there's bitterness? You don't think there's resentment? For the parents who stayed faithful while their children went out, ruined their names, ruined their testimonies, spent their substance and rights is living you don't think something i'm just telling you look you say it's right if it's right or wrong or whatever you know on wednesday night we'll, we'll look at some principles of stewardship and we'll talk about uh or, or maybe it's the next wednesday night after that we'll talk about forgiveness and how often we should forgive look I, I believe in forgiveness but jesus is highlighting something for us here that oftentimes when the prodigal returns it can be difficult for the ones who stayed faithful to rejoice he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. Look at verse 29. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. The prodigal son's brothers looking at the father say, I've been faithful all these years. All these years that he's been out. All these years that he's been breaking your heart. All these years that he's been spending your substance with riotous living. These many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandments, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. 
But as soon as this thy son was come. It's interesting. You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And you can see the, the, the emotion in this young uh, uh, man's uh, uh, heart. He doesn't even refer to him as his brother. He just says, as soon as thy son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. See, the prodigal son's brother teaches us that it can be difficult for the ones who stayed faithful to rejoice when the prodigal returns. But the prodigal son's brother teaches us that those who have stayed faithful should rejoice when the prodigal returns. You say, why? Well, here's one reason. And here's the reason that Jesus highlights, verse 31. And he, the father, said unto him, the eldest son, the son who stayed faithful, the son who's resentful, thou art ever with me. He said, you've been with me. He said, I, I know you've been faithful. I, I know you stayed these many years. Thou art ever with me. Hey, do you know that God knows about your faithfulness? You say no one else acknowledges it. Nobody else sees it. Nobody else parties. Nobody part- they, they party when the prodigal returns. They don't, they don't party because I've been faithful. But God knows you're faithful. The father says to the son, Thou art ever with me. And here... And here's the the main point. And all that I have is thine. See, remember, the story begins with a father and his two sons. And the younger son says to the father, give me the portion of the inheritance that falleth to me. Which forces the father to divide his living into two different inheritances, gives one to the younger and and keeps the other with the understanding that everything that's left is yours, son. The younger goes off and wastes his inheritance in riotous living, his substance with harlots. But the father reminds the elder son that thou art ever with me, and all that I have is done. thine. See, the, the father reminds his elder son that you have not lost your reward. You have not lost your inheritance. You say, why should those of us that have stayed faithful, why should we welcome back the prodigal? Here's why. Because you've not lost your rewards. And by the way, let me just say this to you prodigals, or to you future prodigals, or for those of you devising plans to make your exit even as we speak. You can always come back. But let me make something clear. Just because you come back does not mean you get back what you have lost. You can come back. You can always come back. I'm going to leave my wife and I'm going to go out and live right, just live it. I'm going to leave my children behind and I'm just going to go do whatever I want. Hey, Go for it. Let God humble you. Let God humiliate you. When you're ready to get back, we will be here. You can always come back. But listen to me. Just because you come back does not mean you get back the years you squandered. You don't get your children's childhood back. You don't get that first marriage back. You don't get your health back. You don't get the years back. You can always come back. But what we learn from the story of the prodigal son's brother is that just because you come back does not mean you get back the inheritance. See, the son could come back and they put a robe on him and they give him his room back, they give him shoes, they give him clothes, but his inheritance was gone. And what the father says to the son that stayed faithful was this, thou art ever with me and all that I have is thine. Everything that your brother was having is gone. It's wasted, and he's not getting it back. You've kept your inheritance. You've kept your reward. So because of that, son, we should rejoice. Verse 32, it was meat. The word meat means suitable. It means it was right. It was meat that we should make merry and be glad, for thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. See, the story of the prodigal son is this. You can always come back. But you know what's better than coming back? It's never leaving. Because though you can come back, that does not mean you can get back the years you've lost. 
the relationships you've ruined, the health you've wasted, the resource you've wasted, your children's childhood, your marriage. You can always come back, but it'd be better if you just never left. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the story of the prodigal. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn it. Lord, make these teachings clear to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn and understand this. Lord, if there's, if there's a young person here that is thinking of leaving, thinking of rebelling, Lord, if there's an old person here that's thinking of leaving, thinking of rebelling, Lord, I pray you'd move in their hearts. I pray you'd help them to know that if they go, they can always come back. But if they go, they won't necessarily get back what they have lost. So it'd just be better if they stayed. It'd be better if they just submitted under the authority of the Father, under the accountability of the Father's house, and just served God with their lives. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother Matt if it's okay if I, if I lead a song, if that's all right. I'm going to change your guys' song. I don't have, my, my, my songbook doesn't have the, the songs, but could you find the, the song for me, Lord, I'm Coming Home? I'd like for us to sing that song this morning. <laughs>